your number? Sorry? Oh, we'd start you at 300 like everybody else. I mean, as a partner, I only pull in 600, and the bonus is... No, no, no. Your number. The amount of money you would need to just walk away from it and live. See, I find that everybody has a number, and it's usually an exact number, so what is yours? More. What's going on, Renaissance? My name is Jordan. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, I, I've always, always loved that scene from the movie Wall Street. Uh, not because I can identify with that amount of bread. Uh, there's no currency in which I make 300 or 600,000 of anything. Uh, but that word that he uses, uh, although I'd hate to admit it, kind of summarizes my life. Jordan, how much do you want more? Now, today we're talking about contentment and more specifically, contentment in God. And one of the best ways I know how to define contentment is the satisfaction I have with what I have. And what I'm learning over the years and what we'll see today in Scripture is that contentment is not in having more things. It's not in having more, but it's rather trusting God with what we have. It's trusting that God is, surprise, surprise, wiser than you are. It's trusting that God is good and that God's plans for your life, even if they might not make sense to you, his plans are better than the plans that you would make for yourself. Now, in the scripture that we're looking at today, the author says something that punches me in the gut because I am not someone who is, uh, has a, a great track record with contentment. Uh, it's written by a man named Paul, and Paul has written a, a great deal of the New Testament and is one of the most prolific authors in scripture, and he says these words. He says, I know what it, need, me, what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, it's funny because as I look over the last two decades of my life, uh, I can see how much time uh, I thought I was really going to be happy and settled when something happened in my life when I hit a, a major milestone, when I made a certain amount of money, and every single time it's happened, it's kind of slipped right through my fingers. Uh, I remember when I was in high school, uh, I had this job, I was a telemarketer, uh, and I kind of have a soft spot in my heart for telemarketers to this day. If they call me, I'll be on the phone with them for 15, 20 minutes. Um, it was one of my first jobs. And I was a 15-year-old kid uh, advertising mortgage refinances to grown-ups. And they told us, hey, you could be creative in whatever you do, um, but basically, whatever you do, do not promise them an interest rate. My job as a telemarketer was to get their birthday and their social security number off of a cold call. So it's a 15-year-old kid calling a grown-up, basically trying to get their social security number over the phone to someone they've never met, never laid eyes on. They told us to be creative, and I took that license a little bit too liberally. Uh, I would call people and I would say, hey, what is your interest rate? And this is the 90s when even the market was kind of crazier than it is now. And they'd be like, 12%. I'm like, 12%? Man, I can get you three. <laughs> and they would like, honey, this guy on the phone can get us a 3% interest rate. And i say, hey, all I need is your birth date and your social security number. And they'd be rattling that joint off as fast as you would tell someone what time it is. The reason I did it mainly was because it was a commission-based job, and the more leads we got, the more social security numbers we got over the phone, the more you got paid. 
And if you walked away with five or six or seven leads, that next paycheck was going to be all right. And I kept telling myself, once I make this number, this amount of money, I'm going to stop lying to people because I am a terrible human being. I'm a terrible person. Who does that? And every time I would hit that number, I would say, well, yeah, I made that, but all right, I'm just going to make a little bit more, and once I make a little bit more, then I'll stop doing this. And I didn't stop until I got fired. But <laughs> uh, I'm no longer scamming people out of uh, a predatory lending or anything like that. But 20 years have passed, and I still have not learned what Paul is talking about in the Scripture. Uh, I've spent the majority of my life wanting a little bit more. Here's the dangerous part. Not only do I want more, uh, which is a good thing. I think where God has wired us to want good things, and we'll unpack some of that stuff. But I tend to base uh, how good God is based on the things that I have, how my relationships are doing, and where I'm at in life. And I struggle to find contentment because, in a lot of ways, uh, I look at God through this lens of uh, what I have and where I'm going in life. And if I don't have enough, I start to think, man, God may not be as good as people say he is. Maybe God is not all as cracked up as people say he is in the first place. I remember when we first started this church in my living room, and I remember uh, talking to some friends who were a little bit further along in the journey. Uh, they had started having weekly services already and talking to one of my buddies, and they had 100 people coming out to their church, and I was sitting in my living room with 13 people, many of whom are in this room right now, and I was like, man, yo, if we had 100 people that came to something that we started, I would be the happiest person on the planet. We hit 100. Man, if we had 200 people, yo, if we had 200, we, I would be the happiest person on the planet. Yo, if we hit 300 people, do you know how happy I would be? And every single time we've hit a milestone, uh, I found myself like the guy in Wall Street saying, what's your number? More. I say all that to say that we're going to look at some difficult stuff from Scripture, and this is not a lecture. This is not me telling you uh, something that I have found out to be uh, something from all of my wonderful years of spotless experience, uh, but rather that this is something I'm learning alongside all of you today, and that by God's grace, hopefully we will grow uh, closer to know and to, and to be able to experience what contentment really is. Now, here's why this is so important. Uh, we've been in a series of Philippians, and in this series, we've been looking at pathways to joy. What are the ways that you can develop a really settled hope and confidence in God? Like, what's a way that you can really have? I'm not talking about someone else who's a super Christian, but you, that you can develop this settled confidence and hope in God, and that in every single season in life, you have this confidence, and it's unshakable. Now, I think what we're going to learn today is that contentment is one of those pathways to joy. Now, generally speaking, there are three different areas that we struggle with when it comes to contentment. Uh, material, relational, and circumstantial. Uh, material is an easy one to point out. It's an easy one to poke fun at. Uh, basically, is that you think that once you get more money in your bank account, uh, once you get uh, a better apartment, once you get those Yeezys, once you get... Um, uh, this other, whatever thing it is that you're hoping for, whatever you, whatever material good that you want, then you'll finally be settled and have hope and confidence that everything in life is working the way it should be. Um, but it's interesting that never has there been another civilization that has had as much as we have right now, today, in New York City, and never has there been someone who's so dissatisfied with what we actually have. 
We have more than other cultures would have ever dreamed about in their wildest imaginations, and yet we're still not satisfied. Material discontentment is thinking that one day, this thing is going to come into my life, this job, this amount of money, this many zeros in my bank account, then I will finally be settled. And I think for anybody who's ever put your faith in that, you've realized that you got the job, you got the house, you got the sneakers, you got whatever it was, and it still was a void in your life. Now, the next one hits a whole lot harder than material. Um, I think we can all say and agree that, you know, we don't really need things. Uh, but this next one is a, is a big one, and it causes a lot of people to really struggle to trust in God. Uh, and I'm not talking about what you say out of your mouth. Uh, I'm talking about what your day-to-day -day actual life looks like, that you actually trust that God is good and that God's plans are good and that God's uh, uh, will for your life and God's timing is good is the relational discontentment. Now, many of us in here don't have the relationship with our parents that you wish you did. Or maybe your parents have passed away and you don't have the relationship that your friends have. And it's not something that feels good. Every time Mother's Day or Father's Day rolls around, you're just reminded that you don't have mom or dad with you. Or they might be around and they just might have been a bad, terrible father or a terrible mother. And when everybody is, you know, singing boys to men's mama, you know what I'm saying, and you're like... That ain't, that ain't my relationship with my mother. And the other one, which is even a, a bigger one, especially in this community, is uh, relationships romantically. Is that you don't have the relationship romantically that you want. And, you know, you've really wanted this to happen in your life. And these are good things. These are good desires that God has created us to have, right? And you don't have it. And then we struggle to believe that God is good and that God's timing's, timing is good in our life. And we struggle to find contentment because... Our relationships aren't where they want to be. Deep down inside, I think what we're saying is, God, if you love me, then I would have this relationship. If you were with me, if you were really good, then I would have this. Now, the third one is um, circumstantial. And this is the one that hits closest to home for me. Uh, that for whatever reason, I feel like I'm supposed to be here in life, and I'm not there yet. And I don't even know how I made up that standard of where I'm supposed to be. I just know I'm not there yet. I'm not as good doing leadership development. I'm not as good doing this or whatever, whatever the case is. And I struggle to find uh, real contentment, the satisfaction I have with what I have, to trust God's timing, his uh, provision, and God's will for my life, because I'm not where I want to be. I want to be a little further along. And I have this nagging feeling that somehow God has passed me over. Uh, somehow God is punishing me for something that I didn't even do because God seems to be hooking everybody else up except for me. Now, here's the most difficult truth about contentment. You and I don't struggle with contentment because of things or because of relationships or because of circumstances. You and I struggle with contentment because of our trust in God. We don't struggle with contentment because you don't have a better apartment. We don't struggle with contentment because of relationships. We don't struggle with contentment primarily because of circumstances in our lives. We struggle with contentment because of our trust in God. Now, it's one of the most difficult things to talk about, um, and part of what I think makes contentment so hard is that it's always a moving target, particularly with circumstances and with, um, with things, with possessions, with material things. Uh, we struggle to really, truly have uh, any place that we can finally say, if we have this, then we will be uh, happy. I remember when I was first in high school, when I was at that job scamming people as a telemarketer, uh, my manager was making like 30 Gs a year. And I was like, yo, if I made 30 Gs a year, 
Yo, I would be so happy. I was daydreaming about trips to Aruba, and like, I'm going to get my own car. My parents ain't going to be able to control my cell phone minutes. This is going to be, like, it's going to be the greatest thing ever in life. I will be so happy. I'll never complain ever again in my life. Uh, and at some point, I made $30,000 and won some Sally Mae loans, started hitting. At the same time, it was like I, you know, I owed more than I was making every single year. And every single time I've made any amount of money, I've always thought that this number was going to be good. Like, yes, I hit this number, and every single time I hit this number, I'm still not content. Contentment, in a lot of ways, is a moving target. I found so many people, and this is definitely true of relationships, uh, that they think that, hey, once I get this relationship, then I'm finally going to feel settled. I'm finally going to have hope and confidence in God. Once God gives me this thing, this relationship, this circumstance, and as soon as you get it, you're still back to square one. There's still a lack of contentment. There's still a lack of trust that you have in God. Lauren said something last week that was so profound. He said, uh, one of the biggest challenges with gaining anything is that it introduces new fears because once, now you have a fear that you can lose the good thing that you were begging God for in the first place. So instead of decreasing your fears, it actually increases your fears. Not only is comparison um, is a, a contentment based on moving targets that never really quite settle down, uh, a lot of ways contentment is hard because uh, it's based on comparisons. Uh, the University of Copenhagen did a study, and they took 1,000 people, and they split it down the middle, and all these people were the same age, you know, ethnic makeup, education, yada, 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 and they basically only had one variable. One group can go on social media, the other group couldn't. They split it right down the middle, and after a week of people having a social media fast, they had people sit down and do a survey to see how happy and content they were. Unsurprisingly, the group that had been on social media was markedly lower in their satisfaction and their happiness and their contentment because all day long they were looking at this curated um, uh, list of what all of the things that their, that their friends' lives um, were going on that was so wonderful. So they got to see their friends celebrating this or uh, beautiful pictures of children or basically what happens on social media is every single day you're looking at someone's highlight reel and you're comparing your day-to-day -day life with someone else's highlight reel. The perfect selfie lighting, and you're like, yo, she ain't even that cute. I know she ain't that cute. I saw her in person. And you start to second guess whether or not God has given you good things, because what you're seeing from other people, in a lot of ways, makes us envious. This person had more people that wanted to come to their birthday party. This person gets invited to all of the functions, and nobody invites you out. And a lot of times, it's not even what we have that makes us discontent. It's an awareness of what we don't have. You didn't even really want it, but now that you've seen your friends having it uh, and doing things like that, now you feel like you need it. Even worse, we feel like God is cruel for not giving it to us. God is punishing you for something that you didn't even do. Now, not only is contentment made difficult uh, because it's a moving target and we compare ourselves, but I think one of the, the biggest reasons contentment is so hard is because we don't understand it. Like, we have a really bad understanding of what contentment really is. Uh, so often in the church, and I've heard sermons like this before, people act like contentment is you sitting by, your, by yourself in your crib with, a, with the red Baptist hymnal singing hymns all day. Like, if you're really content, then you're just going to be in your apartment minding your own business. You don't need nothing but you and Jesus singing songs. And they make it seem like if you have any desires at all, you don't have faith. Now, contentment is not about you not having desires. 
Contentment is all about you putting your desires in the right perspective. Contentment is not about you not having desires. The author of the scripture, Paul, uh, Paul was one of the most ambitious people this world has ever known. He started more churches, and his impact, his footprint on Christianity is almost uh, unparalleled. This man had incredible, incredible ambition, and yet he had learned contentment. Contentment is not about you not having desires. Contentment is not about you not wanting materials or not wanting uh, relationships or not wanting better circumstances. It's about you taking all of your desires and you're filtering them through a different lens that God is somehow trustworthy with you exactly where you are right this moment. Now, oftentimes when we talk to people, um, I I feel so bad. People even... Uh, I'm so grateful that last week Lawrence even mentioned one of his fears was that he was going to die alone and that he wasn't going to have anybody to share life with because that's a real fear for people that they're afraid and embarrassed to even admit that they want to be in a relationship or they want kids because we've made contentment out to be this thing that is the opposite of faith. That If you have any desire other than, you know, catching the Holy Ghost in your apartment, then you're sinful or God is not somehow with you. And listen, contentment is not about that. And I would hate for us to continue any conversation on contentment thinking that it's about you squashing your desires. It's about you taking your good desires and submitting them to the hands of a good and loving and trustworthy God. That even if those desires don't happen today, tomorrow, or maybe even ever, that God is still trustworthy to be the captain of your soul. Now, one of the um, biggest reasons, and this is the one that probably hits hard for me, Uh, And this one might hit you in the stomach a little bit, so I want to warn you up front. We struggle with contentment because of our lack of trust in God, and you want to know why? Because we think we know better. We think that if we were the ones that were directing our lives, then we would do a better job at what God is doing because God must have missed the memo on why I don't have this thing yet. God must not understand all of the stuff that's going on because if God knew like I knew, then I would have this or I would have this, and if I just had this, then I would be content. And ultimately, we struggle with content, not because of we need more things, but because of our trust in God. Now, and this makes our scripture for this morning uh, extremely fascinating. Uh, it's a little bit of a recap. Uh, Paul, extremely well accomplished person, best education, best credentials, started more churches than anyone else. And let me reread a little bit about what Paul says uh, today to this Philippian church and uh, what he would have us to get. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, Paul is talking to a church that supported him financially, uh, and he starts off this letter this way because he doesn't want, he's not trying to game them to get more money. He's saying, hey, thank you so much for your support, and I'm not giving you a thanks so that you'll give me more money. Uh, I know I'm content. I am good right now. Uh, And he goes into this conversation that he knows what it means to be content in every situation, whether the good times, the bad times, or anything in between. He's basically saying, guys, I have learned the secret to contentment, uh, whether or not I'm eating $90 steaks at Peter Luger's, or whether or not I'm just suffering and eating Applebee's. Uh, He has learned the secret of being content 
regardless, even if he's eating good in the neighborhood. Now, the reason this is so crazy and this is so interesting is that I was, I was looking through a lot of my notes and I was wondering, like, man, why is it that Paul is saying he learned to be content in plenty? Like, why do you need to learn contentment um, when you have everything that you want? And I think Paul gives us this inclusion because in a lot of ways, when things are good, when you have the material, the relationships, and the circumstances that you want, in a lot of ways, those function as an alternate savior. And you're thinking that you're trusting in God, and in reality, you're not. You're thinking that you're trusting that God is good, and God is with me, and God is for me, but in reality, all you have done is had a great road ahead of you, and you're not trusting in God, you're trusting in what you can see right in front of you. Now, I don't know of any definition of faith that includes, now faith is me having everything I want and believing God is good because I have everything I want. That is not the definition of faith. And Paul starts off this conversation about contentment, learning that before we could even learn the full picture of what contentment is, uh, one of the most difficult times to truly find contentment is when you have everything you want because of the danger of those things functioning as a functional savior for you. And then he gets to the piece that most of us struggle with, which is uh, in times of lack and in times that you don't have everything that you want to have. And he says, um, I've learned the secret of being content whether or not I have everything I want or uh, I, I don't have everything I want. Now, Paul's life was not gravy, not everything that uh, he had. Um, he never went through seasons of life where he had everything. Uh, and there's one time in his life that he recaps that's a pretty difficult road. And this is what it says in 2 Corinthians. He was saying, he's describing his journey. And he says, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, bandits, fellow Jews, and uh, danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I, I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. And as a reminder, Paul is also writing this letter from jail. Now, when I read some of Paul's language right here, it almost sounds as bad as being a Knicks fan. He has lived through some terrible circumstances. And Paul is saying, listen, when I had everything that I wanted, and when I was beaten and shipwrecked and thrown in jail, I have learned the secret of being content. And here's the secret that he gets to in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Paul's secret, I have learned a secret uh, of, being contentment, of being content, is I have learned I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Now, I was thinking about this a lot this past week, uh, and why would Paul say that this is the secret? Uh, because ultimately, I think what Paul is getting back to is he is getting back to the source. Uh, Paul understands that in order for, a true, for him to have this settled hope, this settled confidence in God, he's not going to find it in times of good or in times of bad, but that he can do all of these things. He can endure the good and the bad through Christ who gives him strength. Christ is the source from which he is drawing and receiving contentment. And if you and I are going to ever learn contentment, I think we would do well to first know what the source is of that contentment is. This is not an exercise in your willpower where you're going to beat yourself up and uh, one day read enough books to learn about contentment, uh, but rather it is us finding contentment in going back to the source. 
There's a first scripture that we see in the entire Bible. It comes from Genesis 1 and 1. It says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Ultimately, this is what the author of Genesis is saying. God is the source. In the beginning, God. Fill in the blanks. In the beginning, God. And if you and I are going to learn to, to know what it feels like to have this contentment operating in our lives, uh, we're going to need to go back to the source. And if we're not content with the creator of the universe now, having a better job won't make you more content with God. If you're not content with the creator of the universe tomorrow, having a better relationship is not going to somehow magically make you content. One of the things I've been thinking about is um, why the source is so important. Uh, imagine someone right now in Flint, Michigan, whose water is so corrupted and dirty. Imagine they go out to Home Depot and buy these really fancy uh, faucets and nozzles and change everything up to make it look really pretty and really decorative. And they have all of the features on the faucets, the ones that you can just tap with your hand and it comes on. Uh, you would look at that person like they're crazy because it doesn't matter how beautiful the faucet is, the source is corrupted. It don't matter how nice the faucet looks. It doesn't matter if you get that whole kitchen redone. That source is filthy. It's polluted. Now, when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, he is saying that I am going back not through uh, my confidence in myself, not through my circumstances, not through uh, people around me. He's saying, I can do all things through Christ, which is his source. And you and I would do well, extremely well, if we would learn what it means to return to God uh, as our source as we seek out contentment. Now, it's not, again, I want to say this a thousand times, it is nothing wrong with wanting a better job, relationships, circumstances. Those are good things that God, has, that God tells us to ask him for. But when we put the weight of our lives on these as the source, we are bound to be continually disappointed. These things can never operate as a source, and if we go to them, they will be a brown water that will corrupt us from the very inside out. And contentment is allowing God to be God in our lives. Contentment is about allowing God to be God, and learning contentment is a journey back to the source. In Psalm 131, the author just says something that's so profound. Um, the author says, My heart is not proud, O Lord, and my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But then he says this, But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around a, a small child that just got finished drinking some milk, but they're like the milk drunk. They got like their head is rolled back. The eyes got like milk dripping out the side of their mouth. And the happiest, most content person you will ever see is a kid that just got finished drinking some milk. And here's what the author of the psalm is saying. If you and I want to learn what it feels like to, uh, to be content, we need to drink well from the source the source of what God provides us. And if you've ever seen a kid um, that is hungry, uh, when my son was first born, uh, if my wife wasn't around, if he got hungry, man, it would be like the, the longest three minutes of screaming. And it didn't matter what I did. I can give him a pacifier. I can turn on Sesame Street. I can like uh, dangle some keys in front of his face. And it might buy me like 30 seconds or a minute. But he would be so agitated because he didn't want keys. He didn't want Sesame Street. He didn't want Elmo. He wanted milk from the source. 
I think our souls are so disquieted, and I think our souls are screaming and yelling, and I think we're trying to say, oh, let me turn on Sesame Street. Oh, let me get these keys in front of my face, when in reality, what we need is to be filled from the source. And once we take it out of that proportion and remove God from the place where God is supposed to be, um, it would lead us to a place of constant discontentment. One of the biggest problems is in our lives, uh, we've never really trusted the source. Uh, if you go back to the earliest scripture in Genesis, um, you see our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, uh, and we see that they didn't trust the source, and I think that's a problem that we've inherited uh, from them. After creation, the next act in the cosmic drama uh, was also known as the, the fall of man, and it says in Genesis 3, uh, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work, to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of that tree, you will certainly die. Now, the first thing we need to learn about the character of God is this, that God puts intentional limits on our lives. God, by his nature, is intentionally limiting. And here's the big rub on this. Here's where this becomes such a problem. Uh, we think that anything that our eyes can see should be ours. And freedom, real freedom, is not found in having no restrictions. Real freedom is found in having the right restrictions. A fish is only free in water. You take that fish out of water, it's going to die immediately. And by God's nature, God is intentionally limiting. We see this in the very first interaction with human beings, that God put a limit. God let them see something that they can see, but they weren't supposed to have. Now, oftentimes in my own life, uh, I fall prey to this a pretty terrible idea that if I can see it, if I can see it in someone else's life, if I can see it at all, then it belongs to me, that I should have it. And sometimes we struggle with contentment because we don't trust that God's limitations are even in fact good or that they have a purpose or that God's will for our lives, which might include some limitations, whether it's right now or whether it might even be permanently, that God can still be loving and still give us limitations. They thought that God's limitation was purposeless, no good reason. It doesn't change anything. Like, why can't I eat from all of these trees and not this one right here? And here's the, the biggest problem. This has been the human problem ever since Adam and Eve. We've all struggled in our entire existence to accept God's limitations on our life. Now, I was doing some really hardcore research and really hardcore study, and one of the best descriptions I found for this was through a children's Bible, a uh, children's Bible story. And it, and it paints the, the interaction that Adam and Eve had in probably a better way than I've ever seen it. It says this, as soon as a snake saw his chance, he slithered up to Eve. Does God really love you? He whispered. If he does, then why won't he let you eat this nice, juicy, delicious fruit? Poor you. Perhaps God does not want you to be happy. The snake's words hissed in her ears and sunk deep into her heart like a poison. Does God love me? Eve wondered. Suddenly, she didn't know anymore. Just trust me, the serpent whispered. You don't need God. One small taste, that's all, and you'll be happier than you could ever dream. Eve picked the fruit and ate some. Adam ate some too. And a terrible lie came into the world, and it would never leave. It would live on, on in every human heart whispering to every one of God's children, if I don't have this, God doesn't love me. And this is why contentment is such an issue of faith. Ultimately, lack of contentment means I cannot trust God's limitations. 
I cannot trust God's timing. I cannot trust God's plans. But more importantly than any of those, I can't trust God's heart. You and I are struggling with contentment, not because of what we have or don't have, but primarily because of our trust in God. And so many times we look and we believe the lie that the enemy has whispered into our ears that, hey, unless you have this, God doesn't love you. Unless your relationship with your dad really works itself out, then God is not good. Unless you get this or that, or you can fill in the blank, then you're not good. And there's been a disruption in the source. Now, this is why I think it was so huge that when Paul mentioned earlier in Philippians 1 what his life was all about, Paul says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And you want to know where you are going to find your discontentment in life? Fill in this blank. For me to live is fill in the blank. And if you don't have that, you're going to be susceptible to the lie that God doesn't love you unless you have that one thing. For me to live is, for me, success. For me to live is success. For me to live, I need, uh, I need things to work out. I need to be able to see all of the hard work that I'm doing. And if I don't have that, I really struggle to believe that God is with me. And I think what Paul is challenging us all on is to return to the source. You're not going to find contentment in what you have or don't have today. But as God is working on us, uh, that we would learn that to live is not th to have this or to have that. To live is Christ. Now, the journey of faith after the fall of humankind has been God's beautiful story of redemption. And thankfully, the story does not end in uh, us not trusting the source, but it ends in Jesus coming to redeem us. Uh, and redemption is us returning to the source. Now, in this next scripture that Paul uh, says in Philippians 4.13, and you might be brand new to church. Uh, you may have just had a couple co-workers who are Christian, and I'm sure you've seen this scripture at some point in life. And it says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Now, a lot of you guys have this as your memory verse. You have this written down somewhere. Some of you got it tatted up on your arms. And uh, we, we make the mistake of thinking that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, we think that, we take that to mean that there's anything that you set your mind to, you can do it. And I got a test for you. Upstairs is a gymnasium, and I want somebody who has a lot of faith. We have basketballs in the back, and I want you to go upstairs after service and dunk. Like two hands, uh, LeBron James style dunk. Because if the scripture means that you can do all things through Christ, that means you can go upstairs and do a windmill uh, because you have faith in Jesus. Uh, and that is not what the scripture means. Uh, it means something way better and much more profound than you can do anything you put your mind to. A lot of that is not rooted in us having faith with God. It's actually rooted in us wanting independence from God. And we can do whatever we want, and Jesus will just add a little strength to it. Literally, the scripture means, um, I am able to face anything by the one who makes me able to do it. So when Paul talks about I have learned the secret of contentment. This is what he says. I have learned to be the secret of being content in every single situation because I'm able to face anything by the one who makes me able to do it. So it's not that he can do anything that he wants to or anything that he puts his mind to. Uh, although, again, having good ambitions is good. It's that everything that has come in his way, whether it's having a lot or not having what he wants, he's able to face it. He's able to endure. He's able to persevere because of Christ who gives him strength to do it. Because of the source that he is continually plugged into, he is able to face everything. He is able to continue having faith in God. He is able to continue to have the settled hope and confidence in God, not because of his situations, but because of Christ who gives him strength. 
Now, here's the secret. You and I don't need to be content in, in a way that means that you just grit your teeth and you dial up your willpower to make yourself to do it. We need to go to God to be made able. God needs to make you able in your situation right now to be content. It's not going to come from inside of you. God needs to make you able to deal with your material or relational or circumstantial discontent. Because if you remove God from the picture, you're going to continue to feel like there's a void, like God is somehow being uh, unfair to you. Now, how does the gospel make us able? Uh, Every single week here, every time we gather, we talk about the gospel because it's the most important message in all of Scripture. Uh, And uh, the reason we talk about it is because the gospel is actually what makes us able to return to the source in such a way that we have our faith, uh, not in our circumstances, but in God. And it undoes the lies that the enemy is telling us that we can't trust God or that God doesn't love us or that we can't trust God's timing because it lets us know that God's timing is impeccable. In Romans 5, 6 to 8, it says it like this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. And here's Romans 5 and 8. If you've uh, ever never read this, write the scripture down, memorize it, uh, read this every single morning. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love for us in this. I want you to fill in that blank also. That God, I want you to demonstrate your love for me by doing this. And if you put something there besides what God has done for you in Christ, you're going to struggle to find contentment. This is why Paul is able to say in verse 19 of Philippians 4, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. It's through the lens of the gospel that Paul is saying, listen, I'm confident. I have hope. I have a settled state of assurance in God because my God who sent Christ to die for me while I was still a sinner, this God will meet all of my needs. And properly understood through the lens of the gospel, God's love for us was not determined by his material, his relationships, or his circumstances, but the secret for him being content, for learning contentment in his life was trusting that God was with him and God loved him, not based on his circumstances, but based on what God had done for him in Christ. Now, understood through the lens of, um, uh, there's a scripture in, in Matthew where Jesus is talking to people and he says, hey, if, if, you're, if your son, if he wants a piece of fish, are you going to give him a snake? If he wants some bread, are you going to give him a rock? Hey, if you're evil and you wouldn't do that to your kids, how much more would God give good gifts to his children? What frames us as children to a good, loving, benevolent God is not what we can see in front of us, but rather uh, what God has done to secure our relationship with him. Uh, one of the things that always uh, makes me laugh is um, my son is two years old. He's incredibly impatient, uh, and he'll be like, oh, I want water. And if you don't have that water in like three seconds, he takes his cup, starts banging the table, water, 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 water. He has a discipline problem, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> uh, but he, in those moments, starts freaking out like he's not going to get it. Like, when in your life have you not gotten this? And you're talking to your mother like, this woman gave you life, bro. She gave you life. She has toiled. She has given you everything that you could ever want, and you doubt if she's going to give you a cup of water. To remove the gospel from the equation is to remove that God has given us life. And we see the cup of water that there's nothing in, and we don't trust God's timing. We don't trust God's plans. We don't trust God's limitations on our lives. 
Now, this is one reason why we talk so often about um, uh, doing the CBR at Renaissance, and I struggle to do the CBR some days too. Um, and if CBR is basically our way of reading through scripture every single day, and we have some in the lobby for you, and it has instructions inside on how to do it. But basically, every single day, every single day, you and I are so prone to wander, we're so prone to forget, we're so prone to be unsettled in our lives because we have forgotten what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. In Romans 5 and 8, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Uh, that's something that becomes part of the back distance of our memories, and all we can see is what's in front of us. And every single day, you and I need to re renew our hearts and renew our minds in the gospel because you and I are prone to wander. And a lot of times people say, I don't have contentment. And like, what are you doing about that? Well, nothing. Were well, you going to continue to veer off that road into all the things you can see and what's right in front of your face? It's interesting. There's a practice uh, that we're going to do today uh, called communion. And it's, it's interesting how Jesus describes to his uh, the followers why communion is so important. Uh, basically, Jesus takes some bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. He took some wine. He says, this is my blood, which is poured out for you. And he tells them this, as often as you do this, do this to remember me. Now, I think Jesus tells them to make sure they do it as often as they could to remember him because he knows that they are probably going to forget unless they do it, that they need reminders. They need daily and weekly reminders that will plant this uh, uh, notion of the gospel deeply into their hearts because left without it, they're going to continue to veer down a road where they're starting to trust on what they can see right in front of their faces. And Jesus tells them, hey, as often as you do this, do this to remember me because you're probably going to forget that I really love you unless you do this. Now, one of the biggest tragedies in life is not that uh, we don't have um, what God wants us to have, uh, not materially or relationally, uh, the biggest tragedy is that we have at our disposal the creator of the world, and he goes so ignored. God, I don't want you. I just want the relationship. God, I don't want you. I just want the raise. I just want the money. C.S. Lewis uh, had this famous quote. He says, God cannot give us contentment and happiness apart from himself because it does not exist. Here's what I want you to do if you place your faith in Christ and you come and take communion. Uh, I want you to confess the ways in, in your life. Uh, that you've been looking for contentment in things. I want you to confess the, to God before you take your communion uh, the ways that you've shrugged off what God has done for you. You shrugged off God giving you his very best in Christ uh, in hopes of something else to prove God's love for you. If God didn't spare his own son, how much more also along with Christ will he give us, graciously give us all things? And I want you to come to the table, to the nail-pierced nail hands of Christ to know that he receives us even just as we are because he loves us and he's good, and he is working to redeem us, to restore us to the source. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, you know all the ways that my heart wanders. Uh, you know all the ways that we all wander, and we uh, don't have trust in you, and we struggle to find contentment. God, it is such a real issue. Father, I pray that you would move in our hearts, uh, that we would develop a deep trust in you, in your timing, and your plans. I ask us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.